Would you stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord? Today, again, we're looking in the book of James, chapter number one. The book of James, chapter number one, and we're going to read verse number 22. James, chapter number one, verse number 22. James writes, and he says, but be doers of the word. Say, be doers. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Father, thank you one more time for your infallible, your incredible, your life-giving and life-changing, life-altering word. God, I just pray today that your anointing will rest upon the message, the messenger. God, I just pray today you'll prepare the heart of the people to receive But God, may we not only receive, but God, may we put in practice that which we receive today. All of these things we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. Lord. You may be reseated this morning. Well, today we are going to conclude our series called Just Do It. Evidently, James came up with this slogan before Nike did. Because James said, be doers of the word, not just hearers. So in essence, James said, just do it. Well, so far in this series, we've been talking about some things that we should stop doing. Today, we're going to talk about two things we should start. And the first one is start doing. Start doing. Start doing what? Pastor, well, let me suggest two things this morning. First of all, start doing what the scriptures say. How many think it's a good idea that we start doing what the scriptures say? James said, heed what you have heard. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 9, he said the things that you have learned, the things that you have received, the things that you have heard, and the things that you have seen in me, Paul writes, and he says, these do. Do. Recently, somebody said, they said, based on pastor's teaching on finances, he wouldn't be very happy about my recent financial decision." I want to say, just do it. Just do it. Amen. It's time to start doing. Doing what? What the scriptures say. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, it says that the word of God is alive and powerful. How many believe that this morning? The word of the Lord. This is not a dead book. This is a living book. This book is alive. The word of God is alive and powerful. The Bible says that it is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. And the Bible says that it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful. How many know this book is useful? It is useful. What for? He goes on to say, to teach us what is true. And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And verse number 17 says God uses it. Say God uses it. God uses it. Why does he use it? What does he use it for? God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do. Say to do. To do what? To do every good work. 
May I suggest to you today that one of the greatest gifts God has given to us is his written word. How many know this is God's gift to us? Because of his written word, we don't have to wonder about what God thinks about something. If you want to know what God thinks about something that's going on in the world or something that's going on in your life, all you have to do is open and read the pages of God's book because because the, the written word of God... Uh, helps us understand what God thinks about something, or, or it also helps us understand what God expects of us. It also tells us what God requires. Well, I want to suggest two things about God's Word today, two things about God's Word. First of all, I want to suggest that the Scriptures are filled with practical admonition. The Scriptures are filled with practical admonition. I don't know about you, but I love this I love this about God's Word. My wife calls me Mr. Practical. That's her word for me. She says, I am Mr. Practical. And I think that's a good description of who I am. See, see some people love to, love to try and figure out who the ten toes of Daniel are. Uh, some people try to figure out who the Antichrist is going to be. Uh, Some people try to figure out when the battle of Armageddon will be fought. And all of these are good. I'm not saying they're not good. They're all good things. But for me, for me, after scriptures about salvation, let me tell you, I'm thankful for all of the practical application in scripture. Amen? Now, I could get up here this morning and give you an hour's dissertation on how to get from Dan to Beersheba. Problem is, ain't nobody going. Ain't nobody going. Amen? Well, maybe we or maybe don't need to know what the ten toes or Daniels are. That's interesting. Listen, I plan on being out of here before that ever takes place. Might be interesting to wonder and know who the Antichrist is. I'm planning on being out of here before he's revealed. God's got all of that under control. Amen? But listen, here's what I found about the Word of God, and that is God's Word tells me how to be a good husband, and it tells me how to be a good father. I don't know about you, that's something I can use right now. My Bible tells me how I should handle my finances. I don't know about you, but you know what? As my finances go, you know, kind of that kind of ebbs and flows with my happiness, amen? Money can't buy happiness, no, but it sure causes a lot of unhappiness, Amen? Or the lack there. Come on now. Help me out here this morning. Amen. My Bible tells me how I can be a good leader. It tells me how I ought to treat others. Oh, it tells me how I should, how I should treat my employees. And how uh, it tells me how to be an employer, how to be an employee. God's Word is a toolbox that supplies me with all of the tools that I need to succeed in every area of my life. It's not just a roadmap to get me to heaven. But listen, it is a toolbox, amen, and every tool I need, amen, to be successful in this life. Everything I need to know about how to live an overcoming life, I can find in the Word of God. How many you're glad this morning for the practical application of the Word of God. But not only are the Scriptures filled with practical admonition, the Scriptures are filled with profound truth. Profound truth. See, see, you can scan the surface of God's Word and you can glean, oh, you can glean a whole lot from simply scanning uh, the pages of God's Word. But let me, let me tell you this morning that there are some very deep and profound truths hidden below the surface in this book 
That requires some digging and even sometimes requires some divine revelation to discover. The Bible says in Proverbs 25 and 2, it says it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. Listen, God has concealed some things in this book. God has hidden some things in this book. The Bible said it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of kings to search out a matter. The book of Amos chapter 3 and verse 7 says that God reveals his secrets to his prophets. God has some secrets. God has some treasure. God has some profound truth hidden in the Word of God. But it is the delight of God when God's people begins to seek God, begins to open the pages of God's Word, begins to ask God to, to open the pages of His Word. It is God's delight to reveal the deep treasures and the deep truths of the wonderful Word of the Lord. How many are thankful for that this morning? In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 10, the Spirit shows us God's deep secrets. Well, I want to challenge you this morning. Don't just read the Bible with natural eyes. Listen, you're not going to get very much out of the Word of God if you read it with natural eyes. Don't, don't just read the Bible with natural eyes. But I want to challenge you, before you sit down to read the Bible... Before you sit down, and many of you said, you know, I tried to read the Bible, but I didn't get anything out of it. I tried to read the Bible, but I could not understand it. Let me tell you, this is a spiritual book. It's not a natural book. Listen, it's only as the Spirit opens and reveals the Word to us, only then can we comprehend and understand the Word of God. So I challenge you, before you read the Word of God, take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to help you read with spiritual eyes. Don't just say, well, I'm going to read my Bible reading today so I can tell everybody I've read my Bible. Pastor challenged us to read through the Bible this year, and so I want to make sure I like challenges, and man, I tell you what, I'm not going to let anybody outdo me. I'm going to get through the Bible. Listen, it's not enough that you get through the Bible. We've got to get the Bible through you. And the only way we're going to get the Bible through you is if you, before you open the book, you say, God, open this book. God, I don't understand it. God, I, don't, I can't comprehend it. God, it just seems to, to kind of fly over the top of my head. God, would you open the pages? God, would you lead me? God, would you direct me? Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the Scripture? Listen, I believe that if you'll ask God, if you'll ask God to open his book to you, I believe God will. How many would agree with me this morning? Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate God's Word to you and open up the Word to your understanding. And ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you from His Word. Oh, people hear about people saying, well, you know, God said this or God said that. And listen, God speaks to me as well. But, and we're going to talk in a moment about how God speaks to us. But let me tell you the number one way that God speaks to us, and that's through His Word. Through his word. Listen, God doesn't have to say one more thing out of his mouth. God doesn't have to reveal one more thing. He's already said everything that needs to be said. He said it and he had it written down in his word. We need to ask God to speak to us through his word. The scriptures are filled with profound truth. You know, it is said that there is treasure to be found in the deepest parts of the ocean. It is said that if only somebody could get deep enough, even, even getting down to the ocean's floor, that one could find lost treasure beyond their wildest 
imagination. Oh, I, oh it, so it is with the, with the Word of God. Listen, there is hidden treasure to be found deep within the pages of God's Holy Word. If only we would, grow, would go deeper, if only we would search harder, if only we would ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the deeper truths and treasures that are there to be found by us, if only we would dig a little deeper. Just do it. Just do it. Start doing. Start doing what, Pastor? Start doing what the Scriptures say. But not only start doing what the Scriptures say, let me challenge you to start doing what the Spirit says. What the Spirit says. Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 7 says, He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says. See, the Holy Spirit wants to talk to us. The Holy Spirit wants to talk to you. He doesn't just want to talk to the pastor. The Holy Spirit wants to talk to us. He wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to us today. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit the helper. The helper. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. Pastor Steve spoke about the Holy Spirit when he was here. I appreciated the word. There needs to be a revival about talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a part of the triune God. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the helper. Listen, listen, the Holy Spirit wants to help us. Some of you need help. All of us need help. And the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit, the, the, the helper, the comforter. That means one called alongside to help. The Holy Spirit is our helper, and the Holy Spirit wants to help us. He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. He wants to direct direct us. And there are many ways and many methods and and many means whereby the Holy Spirit uses to communicate with us. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to us through, through intuition or impressions. Just an impression. I just have an impression that I need to do this. Oftentimes, that is the Holy Spirit speaking to us, the Holy Spirit trying to lead and direct us. Sometimes He speaks through a still, small voice in our spirit. Sometimes He speaks by illuminating God's Word as we are reading it. Sometimes he speaks through a word of prophecy, a word of prophecy. Sometimes he uses a pastor's sermon to speak to us. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me after church and said, Pastor, do you have my house bugged? Because what you spoke today, especially this and this that you spoke, there's no way in the world that you could have known. I've not told anybody. Nobody knows about this. And do you have my house bugged? I don't, but the Holy Spirit does. And he often tells on you. Amen. The fact of the matter is the Holy Spirit is speaking. The question is, are we listening? Let me specifically mention three areas in which the Holy Spirit can speak to us. First of all, the Holy Spirit can tell us what to do. Did you know that? 
The Holy Spirit can tell us what to do. When we do not know what to do, when we do not know what direction to take, when we don't know what the answer is, the Holy Spirit can reveal to us. The Holy Spirit can tell us what to do. In Acts chapter 15, the Bible says that the apostles gather together to determine what they are going to do with the newly uh, Gentile, with the new Gentile Christians. The Gentiles were getting saved. The Gentiles were getting, coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And these Jews got together and said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with these Gentiles that are, going, that are getting saved? And what burdens shall we lay upon them? What should we? They're not Jews, so what should we require of them? And so they had a holy huddle. The bigwigs got together, the leaders of the church got together, and they sought the Lord as to what they should do about these new Gentile Christians, these Gentiles that were being converted to Christianity. In verse number 28 it says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And then it goes on to say what they felt good about as far as the regulations that they were going to lay upon these Gentile Christians. I'm telling you this morning, the Holy Spirit can speak to us. The Holy Spirit can tell us what we need to do. Not only can the Holy Spirit tell us what to do. Listen, the Holy Spirit can tell us who to do it with. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit can not only tell us what to do, the Holy Spirit can tell us who to do it with. Over in the book of Acts, chapter number 13. Acts chapter number uh, 13. Verse number 1, it says, And now in the, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Serene, Manain, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, Verse 2 says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit what? The Holy Spirit said. Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. The Holy Spirit can tell us who to do it with. You You see, who we align ourselves with is as important as what we do. Did you know that this morning? Who we align ourselves with is as important as what we do. The Holy Spirit can lead us to the people that we ought to partner with. He can also warn us about people that we should not come into partnership with. The Holy Spirit wants to speak. The Holy Spirit is still speaking today. The question is, are we listening? The Holy Spirit can tell us what to do. The Holy Spirit can tell us who to do it with. Listen, the Holy Spirit can tell us where to do it. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit can tell us where to do it. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 10, the Bible says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. They were what? They were forbidden by who? They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. What? They tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. 
So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pledged with him, pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding. Concluding what? Concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. To who? Anybody? No, to, to them. Listen, the Holy Spirit can tell us where to do it. You see, what we do and who we do it with and where we do it are all three equally important. And the Holy Spirit can reveal all three of these two us. Well, you know, it doesn't really matter what we do. It doesn't really matter who we do it with. It doesn't really matter where we... No, no, no. It does matter. It does matter. God has a specific place for us. God has a specific place of ministry for every single one of us. And we need to seek out that specific place that God wants to take us to and God wants to lead us to. Oh, you know, we just need to throw up a shingle, call our church anything we want to call it, and just start singing and preaching and just start doing anything and everything we want to do. No, no, I wouldn't recommend that. I wouldn't recommend that. Listen, I didn't call this the Grace Place because I thought it was a cool name, and I think it's the coolest name around. When people ask me where I pastored, I tell them the Grace Place. I'm telling you, nine out of ten times they actually pause and say, wow, I love that name. Let me tell you why it's that name, why it's so cool, why it's so awesome, because I didn't name the church God did. We're not caring people caring for people just because that's a nice slogan. It's something for us to do. No, no, no. We are caring people, caring for people because God told me to create an atmosphere of caring. That is the direction that the Holy Spirit has given to me into this house. And if you will look around this morning, you'll come back again in the second service. Wait about about halfway through the service, you'll find this crowd again in the second service. Amen. Why? Because I'm so good. Because I'm so some somebody or something. No, no, no. But I will tell you that I am a man that knows how to pray. And I am a man that knows how to hear God. And I am a man that knows how to listen to the voice of the Spirit. Listen, if you want to succeed in life, amen, you need to tune out all the voices of the world and tune in the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit can tell you what to do. He can tell you where to do it. He can even tell you who to do it with. On March the 26th, 1990, in Elk City, Oklahoma, 2 o'clock in the morning, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Harvest Time Church, Midland, Texas, Odessa Highway. Fast forward. If you were to go today to Midland, Texas, if you would go out on 191, you will find Harvest Time Church, Midland, Texas, located on the Odessa Highway. I can't tell you, as we were there for 12 years, I can't tell you how many times people tried to misdirect my vision. People tried to pull me to this way and that way and some other way and even offering me some things that I didn't have and meant it would be awesome. But every time I would say, no, no, it's not. It's Harvest Time Church. I got to call it that. That's what God said. I can't call it anything else. Not saying anything wrong with your name, but I 
can't call it that. That's not what the Holy Spirit said. Oh, you want to give me this building for 10 cents on the dollar in a really nice location in Midland, Texas? I can buy it for 10 cents on the dollar. We'll be due. That's great. Only problem is it's not on the Odessa Highway. And as good as it sounds, I can't do it. Because the only way that I know I'm going to succeed is if I do what the Spirit sent me to do. And the Holy Spirit told me specifically what to do. I did specifically what the Lord told me to do. And today the church is still moving forward and still going on. Listen, the Holy Spirit wants to talk today. Just do it. Do what? Start doing. Do what? Start doing what the Scriptures say. Start doing what the Spirit says. But don't just start doing. Start being. I said, don't just start doing. Start being. Start being what, Pastor? Two things. First of all, the person God wants you to be. Start being the person God wants you to be. Psalm 139, verse 14 through 16 says, Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. You saw me before I was ever born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment laid out before a single day had passed. The psalmist said that God makes all of us wonderfully complex. He sure did it with the ladies. I know that. Amen. (laughs) The psalmist said that God makes all of us wonderfully complex. Another version uses the word unique. Notice, Notice also the word workmanship. Workmanship. The psalmist said to God, your workmanship is marvelous. See, see, people do not come off on an assembly line. There are no cookie-cutter people. Everybody is born an original. Sad thing is most die a carbon copy. Verse 16 says that every moment of our lives are laid out for us before we are ever Born. This tells us that God has a unique plan for every single life. And God's plan for me is different than his plan for you, and his plan for you is different than his plan for me. Listen, the challenge today is start being the person God wants you to be. Discover God's plan for your life, and then start fitting into that plan. See, see, all of us are a piece of God's puzzle. Now, I understand that no two pieces of a puzzle are exactly alike. Each piece is unique and necessary to complete the puzzle. And if you put all the pieces together but you lose one piece of the puzzle, the puzzle is useless because the puzzle is incomplete. And no matter how insignificant the little piece 
might be to the puzzle, yet the puzzle is not totally complete until you find that little piece and put it in the puzzle. I'm telling you this morning that you are a piece of God's puzzle. And you may think your piece is very small and very insignificant, but I'm telling you in the overall scheme and plan of God, His plan is incomplete unless He is allowed to take you and put you in the part of the puzzle that is His will for you to fit in. We need to understand that God shapes us by giving us our unique gifts, talents, abilities, and personality. Pastor, I don't like your personality. Take it up with God. He gave it to me. Because of our unique shape, we don't fit everywhere. I don't fit everywhere. I was expecting a big old amen on that one. (laughs) Because of our unique shape, we don't fit everywhere, but we do fit somewhere. Yeah. And God's plan or puzzle is not complete until we are in that particular place in life that he has shaped us to fit into. Start being. Start being the person God wants you to be. Start being the person God called you to be. Start being the person God designed you to be. Let me suggest two types of person God wants you to be. First of all, he wants you to be a principled person. Now, the word principle means a rule or code of conduct. See, we should live our lives by the principles or code of conduct that we can find in the Word of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 119 and 11, he said, Your word I have hid in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you. And in uh, Psalm 37 and verse 31, the Bible says the law of his God was in his heart. And because the law of God was in his heart, none of his steps will slip. None of his steps will slip. Why? Why? Because he is a principled person. Why? Because he is living his life after the principles of the Word of God. He is putting the principles of the Word of God in his heart. And when he puts the principles of the Word of God in his heart, that's what comes out in his life. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5 says, Enoch was taken to heaven without experiencing death. Why? Because before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. Wouldn't you love to have that said about you? Now, that's a man that pleases God. That's what they said about Enoch. Evidently, Enoch had become the person God wanted him to be. And God was so pleased with Enoch that he transported him from earth to heaven, and Enoch was allowed to skip the process called death. Well, it seems to me that God is more concerned with our being than he is with our doing. God's more concerned with our being than he is with our doing. But listen to me, the fact of the matter is when we start being, the doing will will come automatically. I'm going to say that again this morning. When we start being, the doing will come automatically because who we are affects what we do. See, a duck quacks because it's a duck. 
A dog barks because it's a dog. A bird flies because it's a bird. Who we are determines what we do. You're not getting that. That's good. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what comes out of our mouth is determined by what's inside our heart. Oh, we say something, we say, I didn't mean to say it. Yes, you did mean to say it. You meant to say more. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of our mouth is determined by what's inside our heart. Listen, listen, sinners sin because that's what sinners do. Oh, the wickedness of man. Oh, oh. Man is wicked. Without Jesus, we're a mess. Most of us still are with Jesus. Sinners sin because that's what sinners do. Saints, true saints, not just somebody that says they're a saint. Saints don't practice sin. I didn't say that you'll never sin after you come to Christ. I didn't say uh, saints never sin. I said saints don't practice sin. Some of you have stopped practicing. You're so good at it. You don't have to practice anymore. Saints don't practice sin. They don't habitually sin because they are continually striving to please God and they have, a, they have adopted the principles of God's Word. The principles of God's Word are their code of conduct. Well, can a person's conduct save them? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But hear me this morning. What a person does is determined by who that person is. Who they are determines how they act. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 15 through 17 says, Those that, who receive a new life in Christ no longer live for themselves. Instead, they live for Christ. And if anyone belongs to Christ, they are a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Listen to me this morning. The proof of salvation is change. The proof of salvation is not your testimony. The proof of salvation is not that you said you're saved. The proof of salvation is not that you prayed the sinner's prayer. The proof of salvation is not that you were baptized in water. The proof of salvation is change. See, we don't change in order to be saved, but we change because we are saved. I'm not talking about good works in order to earn our salvation. I'm talking about the fact that if the old is gone and the new is come, we're going to live a different life. See, change, change is a natural byproduct of salvation. When we get saved, our thinking changes. We don't think the way we used to, ch- used to think. Oh, when we get saved, our talk changes. We don't, we don't use the same vocabulary. We don't still use the same language that we used before our talk changes. Amen? Oh, when we, when we truly give our life to Christ, when Christ really comes in to live in our heart and our life, our behavior 
changes. Our behavior changes. Listen, hear me clearly this morning. Not because we have the power to change ourselves, but because we have been changed on the inside. We are always trying to change ourselves from the outside in. You can never change yourself from the outside in, but I'm telling you what can happen, and that is you can be changed from the inside out. Amen. The Lord can come into your heart, and he can change your heart, and he can change your life. Amen. And now you begin to live for him. You begin to walk with him and talk with him. Your life is different. Your life is changed. Amen. You have not pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps. No, no. No, you have invited Christ to come into your life, and because Christ lives in your life, he begins to change you on the inside out. And as we change on the inside, then it begins to show on the outside. And this is a continual process. Start being. Start being the person God wants you to be. What is that person? A principled person and finally a prioritized person. A prioritized person. John 4, verse 34, Jesus said, my nourishment. Jesus said, what, what feeds me? Jesus says, my nourishment comes. How does it come, Jesus? From doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. And John 5 and 30, Jesus said, I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Jesus lived a prioritized life. He knew what his life purpose was, and that was his priority. I know I talk about it a lot, but it needs to be talked about, and you need to hear this this morning. We need to discover our life's purpose and then prioritize our life around that purpose. Say, Pastor, how do I discover my purpose? It's very simple. To discover your purpose, just look in your heart and look in your hands. It's not rocket science. It's not that difficult. It's not that hard. You don't have to get an email from heaven. You don't have to have an angel appear to you and say, this is your life's purpose. All you got to do to find your life's purpose is look in your heart and look in your hands. What are your greatest desires? What are your greatest desires? And what have you been gifted to do? It's that simple. There are two things that I include in my daily prayer time. I pray, Lord, help me do things right. And then I pray, help me do right things. Almost every day I include this in my prayer. Lord, help me do things right and help me do right things. To do things right is to do everything with excellence or to do everything I do to the very best of my ability. If I'm going to do something, I don't do a lot of things. I don't. I don't do a lot of things. I don't allow people to pull on me this way and that way and some other way because I know if I'm doing all these ways, I'm going to be pulled apart and I'm not going to do the thing I'm supposed to do. I don't do a lot of things, but the things that I do, the few things that I do, that you can count them off on one hand, the few things that I do, I want to do things right. I want to do things with excellence. I want to do everything I do. I want to do it with the very best of my ability. I want to put 110% of everything I have in everything I do. But I don't want to just do things right. I want to do right things. I want to do right things. I want to do the things God wants me to do. 
Now, I know some of you have got a good idea what you think I ought to do. But I don't work for you. And I'm not saying that cocky. I'm not. I'm not. But I stopped working for the church a long time ago. I don't work for you. I work for God. He takes me where I need to go. He takes me out of where I need to not be. Amen. I want to do everything God wants me to do. I don't want to do what people want me to do. And if I opened it up for discussion this morning, it would just be amazing how many things would come out. I want to do what God wants me to do, not what people want me to do, not what society tells me I'm supposed to do, not what culture says, not what the latest and the greatest fad is, not just what is popular at the moment. And it's difficult not to do that today. Very few people are getting their orders from headquarters. They're getting them off the internet. They're getting them off the latest, fastest growing church. They're getting them out of the latest book. And none of these things are bad in and of themselves. But let me tell you, I don't seek direction of God from God by reading somebody's book or looking at somebody's internet. Old school? Yeah, I guess so. It's worked pretty good for 45 years. I think I'll just keep doing it. And I pray, God, help me do what you want me to do, what you have gifted me to do. I'm not gifted to do a lot of things. I am gifted to do two, one or two things. That's all the gifts I have. But, God, I want, I want to do what you want me to do, what you've gifted me to do, what you've, what you've placed me on this earth to do, what you called me to do. You see, when we stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, God will not ask us, did you work for me? Did you, did you do some good things for me? Okay, good boy. No, no, he's going to ask us, did you do what I asked you to do? He's not going to say, did you do some good things for me? Did you do some good works? Did you work for me? No, no. When we stand before the judgment of seat of Christ, he's going to ask us, did you do what I asked you to do? Did you do what I equipped you to do? Did you do what I called you to do? Did you do what I put you on planet earth? I uniquely gifted you. I uniquely shaped you. I formed you. Amen. There was a strategic part of the puzzle you were supposed to fit in. Did you? fit there did you fulfill my purpose for you just do it start being the person God wants you to be and the partner God wants you to be the partner God wants you to be in Matthew 25 verses 14 through 30 Jesus tells the parable of the story about the man who, is, who has three servants. He gives these three servants a different amount of money. And he expects each servant to do something with his money. You know the story. The man goes away on a trip, and when he comes back, he calls his servants in, and he asks for a report of what they did with what he gave them. And this is a picture of what God does with us. He has deposited into our lives gifts, talents, abilities, 
And one day he's going to call us before him. We're going to have to give an account of what we did with what he gave us. God comes into partnership with man. God works through man. We are God's partners. There are two attributes that God expects of his partners. First of all, he's looking for a passionate partner. Passionate partner. Matthew 22 and 37, Jesus said, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. In Revelation 2 and 4, Jesus chastised the church in heaven and said, You don't love me, Jesus said, like you used to. I'm way over my time this morning. Let me just quickly finish. The Lord is not just looking for a passionate partner, but also looking for a productive partner. God's not just looking for a passionate partner, but also a productive partner. Back to the story in Matthew 25, the story teaches us that God won't tolerate an unproductive partner. Did you hear that? God won't tolerate an unproductive partner. Verse 26, the master said to the unproductive servant, you wicked and you lazy servant, why did you not at least deposit my money in the bank so I could get some interest? Verse number 30, he says, throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, wow. In light of this, are you sure you want to remain inactive in the work of the Lord? Start being. Start being. Start being the person and the partner God wants you to be. Would you stand with me this morning? The takeaway this morning Our problem is not a lack of information. I'm going to say that again. Our problem is not a lack of information, but a lack of implementation. James 4 and 17 says that if you know what you ought to do and you do not do it to you, it is sin. James 1 and 22, for the last time in this series, James says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Just do it.